You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam. Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. Wow. It is 7-3, the former Dodger, breaking hearts in Los Angeles. That was Ernie Johnson and Jeff Francoeur last night on TBS. Last night, one of those moments, one of those games that will endure for years to come for sports fans in this city. I try not to get overreactionary to the recent. You know, it's it's like the thing we do in, in in sports in this day and age, in politics in this day and age. Everybody's sort of you know a beholden to recent events and comparing them and and exaggerating them as the greatest things they've ever seen. Last night, though, come on, Howie Kendrick becomes an unforgettable all-time figure for sports fans in this city. What happens moving forward is important. The opportunity is huge, but nothing that happens the rest of this month will ever replace what Howie Kendrick did in Game 5 in Dodger Stadium last night. Uh, Tommy's going to be with us from Los Angeles. I'm giving him some extra time to sleep in. Uh, it was a very late night for him. He'll he'll probably be in a terrible mood um, because I'm waking him up so early. So I'm going to give him 15 minutes to sleep in, and I'm going to talk about this game here uh, momentarily. Aaron is out. Claude Jennings is in. It's good to see you, Claude. It's, it's great been to see for you, Kevin. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's going to be helping out today, uh, and we'll get to Tommy in a moment. Look, this season and everything about the Nationals this year, starting 19-31, and 31, the surge to the postseason, the comeback win in the wild card game over the Brewers with the Juan Soto hit and the subsequent error in the eighth inning, all part of a team that is already destined to be, you know, distinguished in our minds as the Nationals team, you know, that will remember. This is the furthest they've been since they got back to DC. You know, they came in, it came to DC. I hate all the way, uh, all, all the comparing, by the way, to what this franchise did in Montreal. I don't give a shit what it did in Montreal. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, what Washington baseball history is, is it goes back to the Senators and the Nationals of the early 20th century through mid 20th century, turned into the Senators, moved once to Minnesota, moved a second time to, to, to Texas, and then we didn't have baseball for 34 years. When they're rolling out the Expos, you know, uh, old film of the last time they won a series, that doesn't mean anything to me, that the, that the franchise came from, uh, from, from Montreal. This is the first time in Washington baseball history since 1933 that a professional baseball franchise is going to play a best-of-seven series since 1983. That's 86 years. We didn't have baseball for 34. I understand that. But wow, what a finish last night. What a game. It had so many pieces to it. And now it leads to an NLCS series against St. Louis starting tomorrow night, 8.08 first pitch. I'm guessing that it could be Scherzer 
or Annabelle Sanchez or, or maybe even Corbin. As we're recording this, no decision's been made on the starter. They're going to face St. Louis, by the way, because St. Louis scored 10 runs in the first inning of their fifth and deciding game yesterday against Atlanta to advance to this moment as well. Another chance, by the way, that for the Nats to get revenge for past playoff you know, meltdowns. This the the Dodgers meltdown in game five at home and the St. Louis meltdown the first time they were in the postseason in twenty twelve is an all time Drew Storen moment. Um, that ninth inning with guys like Pete Cosma and Descalso, uh, et cetera. So they get a chance at St. Louis, avoiding, by the way, a matchup with Atlanta that I think a lot of people would have been concerned about because the Braves sort of own the Nats this year. St. Louis won five of seven against the Nats this year. But I had Ray Knight on the radio show earlier, and he's like, none of that regular season stuff matters. You know, the postseason is its own entity. And look, the Nats aren't throwing out their normal bullpen, right? They've been using starters out of their bullpen. Um, Dave Martinez's approach to this offseason, uh, to this postseason, excuse me, um, has been aggressive, and for the most part, it has worked out. So last night's game was really <clears throat> a game that I sort of broke down into chapters like it was a book. Claude, this is how it went because there was so much to it. It was, you know, chapter one, the pitchers. One was really good and one wasn't so good. Walker Bueller was excellent. Steven Strasburg wasn't. The second chapter, the Nats hang in there. You know, they're down 3 nothing. It could have been worse. I'll get back to that in a moment. But they hung in there with Strasburg still in the game. They got a run. They didn't get it. It didn't get away from them. And then chapter three would just be titled Kershaw. Wow, what a moment! Soto, Rendon, Rendon first, Soto second, back to back, and Kershaw sitting there in the dugout by himself with his hands in his head. One of the lasting images of this postseason. One of the real incredible images that I don't think people in baseball will ever forget. One of the great all-time pitchers, completely by himself, isolated, devastated after giving up a two-run lead in three pitches. That's chapter three. Chapter four, then, is is Howie Kendrick and the grand slam uh, that finishes off the Dodgers to win the game. So back to chapter one. Strasburg really was not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, Bueller was dominant. Strasburg wasn't. Strasburg could not find the strike zone early on. The curveball wasn't anywhere near good enough. That first inning, to get out of that first inning was incredibly fortunate. How about the way the game starts off? The game starts off with a Jock Peterson, what we thought was a home run, but it actually went through the door into the bullpen, and Juan Soto saw it. I don't know that anybody else saw it. Soto saw it. If Soto hadn't seen it, I think it would have just been a ruled, ruled a home run. Now, it turned out to be not a big deal because Muncie hits a home run in the next at-bat off Strasburg, and two hitters up, and it's a 2 nothing Dodgers lead. And then he walks Turner in four pitches. And then you get Cody Bellinger, who, by the way, was just dreadful in this series. The National League presumed MVP, if if Yelich isn't. And I think we're now learning. Rendon's the best player. He's a better player than Bellinger Mm -hmm. with with, the game on the line. Bellinger strikes out. Beatty singles. And then Strasburg gets Seager to ground into a double play. That's a huge moment in this game. When you're watching this, I'm thinking... This has 4 nothing, 5 nothing written all over it in the first inning. 
and he gets out and it's only two nothing. Mm-hmm. That is a huge get out of dodge, you know, get out of dodge before Strasburg is replaced because it could have happened. Third inning, uh, second inning. Here comes Hernandez in a leadoff home run in like two pitches. All right. Then you get Peterson back up in the second inning. He singles, but Strasburg gets out of that out of that inning with just allowing one run. Meantime, Bueller is just mowing everybody down, except for Strasburg, who he inexplicably walks in the top of the third. You know, but Bueller's got his stuff. And really three nothing in that moment, in that first part of the game. It felt like it would hold up. Hmm. It felt like it would hold up. You know, who knew that when the Dodgers got three runs in the first two innings that they wouldn't score again? They wouldn't score the rest of the way. Um, That was really the first part of of this game last night. Bueller, great. Strasburg, not great. And then came the second part of the game, and that was the Nats hanging in there. You know, Strasburg starting to really pitch well. You know, he gets through the third um, with giving up, you know, he gave up a, 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 a one base runner because of another Kendrick error, um, but he gets Seeger to strike out again. Then he's really good in the fourth in his first one, two, three inning. Then he's really good in the fifth in another one, two, three inning. Strasburg keeps him in the game. Now, there was a moment in the fifth where the Nats are down 3 uh, nothing. It's the top of the fifth. Suzuki walks, bottom of the order, Taylor singles to right. You've got two base runners on with Strasburg due up. Who didn't think that Dave Martinez wasn't going to pinch hit at that point with Cabrera or Matt, a- Matt Adams or someone? For Strasburg, you're down 3 nothing at that point. You're in the fifth inning already. You got to get runs. And Dave Martinez says, "Nope, Strasburg's staying in the game, and maybe because the runners run first and second with nobody out, he's going to use them to sack bunt those runners over." And Strasburg tries against Bueller and is unable to do it and gets out. He bunted foul on his sixth pitch. He actually was ahead in the count at 3-1, and I remember thinking, he's going to get a pitch he can bunt right here on 3-1. But I think it was Jeff Francoeur, who's calling the game, said, you got to take here. What if what if, uh, you know, what if if you know Bueller walks Strasburg, and now you got the bases loaded, and you didn't have to worry about pinch hitting for Strasburg, and you get to keep him in the game, and he got to first base without creating an out. Anyway, he ends up fouling out on a bunt foul, um, with two strikes, Turner strikes out, Eaton flies out, and the fifth inning opportunity is dead. They get nothing out of it. And I was thinking in the moment, I think Davies, you know, messed this thing up. Should have pinched it for Strasburg. He needed the runs. But Davy was right because Strasburg still had a lot left in him, and he shut down the Dodgers in the fifth, shut them down in the sixth. Meantime, the Nats were able to create a run with the heart of their order, the Rendon Soto, you know, connection. It was brilliant throughout. I mean, what 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 a series both of them had. What games they had last night, and they got that first run, and it's three to one. And Strasburg gets out of the sixth, and the Nats have a shot now. But you know, here's the talk: it's going to be Kershaw at some point. You see Kershaw out in the bullpen, and that brings up the third part of this game, which you would just title if it were a book: Kershaw. In all capital letters, because it is one of the moments that baseball fans are never going to forget. A Hall of Fame pitcher, a first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher, who came in, keep in mind, he comes in in the seventh to face Eaton with two on and two out for Bueller, and he gets Eaton on three pitches. 
And if you saw him when he walked off that mound, there was a lot of tension, by the way. There was a lot of angst with Kershaw coming into the game. A lot of Dodger fans, and I was following it on social media, a lot of Dodger media people, they didn't have the faith in Kershaw. It's not the same Kershaw anymore. And when he got eaten, there was this huge sense of relief that Kershaw had come in, gotten a huge out, and now they could go to Maeda. Or they could go to somebody, a normal bullpen rotation for the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. But that's not what Dave Roberts decided to do. Roberts decided to bring Kershaw back for the 8th to face the heart of the Nats order, starting with Rendon and then Soto. And by the way, in the bottom of the 7th, that started the process of the Nationals relievers. Rainey gets an opportunity to come in and face two batters. Who wasn't nervous about that? And he gets Smith to pop out. He gets Taylor to fly out. And then here comes Corbin. A lot of people didn't think Corbin was going to be available. And remember his last outing, six earned runs in Game 3. Although Ray Knight told me, and I felt the same way, that he didn't pitch poorly. I know it's hard to say you give up six earned runs that you didn't pitch poorly. They just made some incredible plays offensively. Now, he made one bad pitch in that Game 3 to, uh, game three to uh, Hernandez who clocked uh, one, uh, you know, uh, that, that two-run double. But Corbin comes in, and Corbin gets four straight outs in relief. An amazing four straight outs in relief. Another starter coming in for Dave Martinez in the postseason to get big outs. Corbin didn't do it on Saturday, uh, or on Sunday, excuse me, in game three, but he does it last night. And then you get to the eighth, and here comes Kershaw. Now, I was surprised because I figured he's going to, you know, come in with you know, uh, Baez or Maeda right there. I mean, Maeda is the guy that they could not hit in this series. And he comes out with Kershaw, and Kershaw gives up the home run and two pitches to Rendon. Now you got a lefty coming up in Soto. It's still a one-run lead for the Dodgers. And you've got that guy, Kalarik, in the bullpen, who's been used as the get-Soto-out guy. And it's he's gotten him out three times, two on strikeouts and once on a ground out. And he leaves Kershaw in there. By the way, the, the Rendon-Homer, was not a bad pitch by Kershaw. That thing's a fastball, low and outside, and Rendon reaches down for it and strokes it out. That's greatness by Rendon, and that was not a mistake pitch by Kershaw. But the Soto slider that he leaves up and hanging, Soto homers, he demolishes the ball, 449 feet. I think um, I heard last night, and maybe it was from Scott on the radio show, Van Pelt, who joined me on the radio show today, that it's the longest home run ever hit off off Kershaw in a postseason game, 449 feet. Kershaw had never given up back-to-back home runs in the history of the regular season for him. He did it last night for the second time in the postseason. He's got a very difficult postseason record for a Hall of Fame pitcher, and last night was his worst moment by far. Back-to-back home runs. I put it on Dave Roberts. I don't think that he should have ever pitched to Soto. Forget the lefty-lefty crap. You had Kalarik in the bullpen, who was the get-Soto-out guy. You had Maeda, who you should have started the inning with. This isn't second-guessing. This is first-guessing by a lot of people. Dave Roberts put Kershaw into that position. Kershaw ends up giving up back-to-back home runs, a 3-1 lead, and the images of him isolated in that dugout with his head and hands are images that really are going to never be forgotten for baseball fans, for Dodger fans in particular. It's probably outside of Washington 
The biggest takeaway from last night's game was the Kershaw meltdown. For baseball fans, you know, and most of them would say, how did Dave Roberts put him in that game? He got the one out. He had the confidence. You've got Maeda. They couldn't hit him. You've got Kolarik for Soto after Rendon homers. Never got to him. Then Maeda comes in and strikes out the remaining side. At that point, Dave Roberts had to think, oh, my God, why didn't I just come out with Maeda? That's not second-guessing. There was a lot of first-guessing on that stuff. Dave Roberts was a big part of the storyline last night, a huge part of the storyline last night. He did not manage his bullpen well at all. Again, most people on social media in particular were saying, what are you doing? You've got Maeda. You've got Kalarik in there, the the lefty that throws sidearm, that Soto can't hit. It's still a 3-2 game. Are you serious? You're going to leave Kershaw out there after Rendon just drilled one in two pitches off of him? And it did not pay off. The the Soto, the Rendon and Soto back-to-back, the two of them last night, you know, combining to go five for nine, three RBIs. Um, so, uh, Rendon in the final two games of this series, down two games to one, four for seven, four RBIs in the series. He was brilliant. And by the way, completely outplayed the MVP candidate that is apparently above him in the MVP race, Cody Bellinger, who did have a very good last at bat. And when he got on via error, or a base hit, he was a, a, a an absolute monster on the base paths. He stole two bases last night. He had an incredible catch on a deep shot uh, by Kendrick early in the game. But overall, in this series, Cody Bellinger, the MVP, ended up in this series. Um, where is it here? I had it here. Four for 19. Not good enough. Four for 19. No RBIs. For Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, by the way, has never hit a home run in a postseason game in Dodger Stadium. For a guy that good, that's remarkable. I thought he choked in this series. I thought Corey Seager choked in this series. And then came the final chapter of last night, and that is Howie Kendrick. You had to know last night that the opportunity for the Dodgers when the Nats had tied that game up was in the ninth inning. Because if they didn't get it in the ninth, they were going to have to face Rendon and Soto again in the tenth. And that was in the moment last night, given the way they were seeing it. That was going to be a problem for the Dodgers, and it was going to be advantage Nats. And in the bottom of the ninth, you had Will Smith, the catcher, take one deep to right field uh, off uh, off of Hudson, who had come into the game. And everybody thought it was over. That ball was apparently gone and out. You see the Dodgers players coming out of their dugout, climbing over the railing to celebrate. You see, and it's one of those things when you're watching it on TV, you're not exactly sure. You usually look for a reaction from the outfielders to see if it's gone or listen to the crowd or listen to the announcers, obviously. And that one all pointed to this game's over and it stayed in the park. And it was caught, and it was an out, and then this guy Taylor comes out, lines out, and now you go to the 10th, and it's advantage Nats. And he brings in Joe Kelly after Kelly had pitched in the ninth. Dave Roberts did. And he still has guys like Baez. He still has Kenley Jansen, his closer, about to face Eaton, Rendon, and Soto. He leaves Kelly out there. That's a killer decision for them. He walks Eaton. Rendon hits the ground rule double. They intentionally walk Soto and they leave Kelly in there to pitch to Kendrick and he knocks it over the center field wall 410 feet game over. Grand slam 7-3 
all-time postseason moment. The first grand slam in extra innings in a decisive game on the road in Major League Baseball postseason history. Howie Kendrick, forever now in sports fans' memories for an unbelievable moment that surpasses the Jason Worth walk-off in Game 4 of their first-ever playoff series against St. Louis. It surpasses what Juan Soto did in the wild-card game. Howie Kendrick is an all-time D.C. sports figure. You know, we get caught up in the recency, and you you know that people like me sometimes speak in massive exaggeration and hyperbole. Last night's not hyperbole. That's a grand slam and a fifth in deciding game in October against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium by a guy who had another error last night. Guy who has struggled in this series, but has always been clutch, and he did it against his former team. What a moment. I'll tell you just one last thing. I could not believe that Joe Kelly pitched to Kendrick. I couldn't believe personally that with Soto up and two men on, that he didn't bring Kalark in at that point to pitch to Soto with two guys on. He had Eaton at second, Rendon, I'm sorry, Eaton was on third, Rendon was on second, first was open, and the play typically is you got first base open, intentionally walk, especially when it's somebody like Soto. But it is no outs, and you got a guy that can get Soto out and has owned Soto in this series. If he could have gotten a quick ground out or a punch out, um, you would have been better off. Uh, Dave Roberts said, we decided to walk him, and I decided to leave Joe Kelly in there because I, I thought I could get Kendrick to – I thought I could get a ground ball out of Kendrick and a force at home, and then I was coming with Jansen against Zimmerman, who would have been up next um, had Kendrick either gotten punched out or grounded out without a run scoring. And uh, then he was going to come with Jansen, which, by the way, he didn't do it anyway. Uh, upset, you know, At that point, down 7-3 after the grand slam, he still didn't bring in uh, – he still didn't bring in – uh, Kenley Jansen. Unbelievable game. I was a little bit nervous with Doolittle in the 10th. I'm not going to lie to you, but with a four-run lead, he 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 was safe there. I mean, if he had come in, if it had been a solo shot by Kendrick to give him a 4-3 lead, I would have been much more concerned about Doolittle in that spot, and I would have preferred, really, Hudson to pitch uh, the 10th had it worked out that way, um, and it didn't. But what a baseball game. What a sports moment for Washingtonians. And we've needed one here recently. You know, we really have needed one. Um, quick uh, mention about mybookie.com, then we'll bring Tommy in from L.A. Um, if you're looking for a place to wager, if you're looking for a place to play my smell test picks, mybookie.ag is a really good spot. Guys, I you got to trust me on this. There are a lot of these websites, a lot of these online sports books that you can't trust. You can trust mybookie.ag. Where you bet and with whom you bet is just as important as who you end up betting on, or certainly close to it. You want somewhere where you can rely on them to pay you if you win and give you good lines and good vigs and good offers in terms of the kinds of bets that you want to play. And mybookie.ag has all of that. If you join now at mybookie.ag, they will double your first deposit if you use my promo code. My promo code is KevinDC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. Use my promo code KevinDC to activate the offer of doubling your first deposit. Now, just to give you a quick heads up, you can't just put in 100 bucks, have them double your deposit, and then pull it out. 
All right, you, they, you put them out of business. You, you're you're, you're going to be forced to wager at a certain level for a certain period of time before you're able to pull that money out if you take advantage of the offer. If you don't want to take advantage of the offer, then you can take the money out whenever you want. But if you take advantage of the offer, which I encourage you to do by using my promo code, Kevin DC, they'll double your first deposit. And it's early in the football season still. You're going to want to wager from now through the NFL playoffs, through the bowl season, and you'll have all of that available to your disposal. MyBookie.ag, my promo code KevinDC. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, um, let's bring in um, the older half of the sports fix, Tom Lavero. Tommy's out in L.A. It's his second trip to L.A. in this series. He was there last night. And when we just called you, it sounds like you're not feeling well again. What the hell's going on? Is the travel getting to you? Are you, are you worn down? Oh, you know, all these kids on the beat, they're all sick. So they got me sick. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I, I can't, I can't, sh- I mean, I was sick a couple of months ago. I'm sick again. And I might want to add, I'm the better half of the, uh, of the sports. Well, I know you would add that. I didn't I was just speaking to the age difference. I didn't speak to the quality between the two co-hosts in the situation. Well, one, I, goes I, hand, one, one goes hand in hand. I would well, sometimes that's true. I don't know if your experience makes you better. Um I just, you know, but I'm not going to disagree with you being the better half. And I don't mind you being the better half. I enjoy this. I enjoy being I enjoy being the one with low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? Because you really yeah, do, I'm fine. Seriously? No, I'm you, fine. You know what? You may have to become one of those columnists that can't leave your house. <laughs> like you're no, in a I'm bubble. Never gonna be, you you mean you mean like you? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. I'm not a columnist though. I'm not a reporter, gonna, nor am I a columnist. I'm not going to be that kind of guy. Uh, so uh, I'll be okay. I mean, I got two hours, two and a half hours sleep, uh, and I got up just to do this podcast. You're the best. So quit your complaining. How buddy. good? How good was it to be there last night, Tommy? Seriously, I, I just finished sort of the open, and that was so much fun, so compelling, so dramatic. You know, typical of postseason baseball, and then on top of it, it's it's you know our favorite team, and you want them to to, to advance. It was just so good the whole night and the way it ended. And what was it like to be there? It was it was amazing. It, it was I mean, having sat through all the failures in the past, and having written a story when they were down uh, three to one. Uh, basically saying that, uh, well, here's another one, you know, to add to the list, and then have that crushed by Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, uh, and then really crushed by Howie Kendrick's grand slam. It was, it was a great moment. I mean, it, it was, uh, I mean, for, for Mike Rizzo and for Dave Martinez, uh, I, I'm happy for both of them. The celebration, celebration wasn't as good, as as the wild card, and here's why: because the the visiting locker room at Dodger Stadium is small, so they didn't have enough room to dance, as like they did oh, in, really? in their home locker room. Yeah, it's a small clubhouse, and and these guys like to dance. You know, they like a conga line all around the room. Uh, so, but but they they were just elated, and it was, 
I mean, for, for Washington baseball, it was a historic moment. I was glad to be there. Yeah, it, it really was. I, I'm I'm curious. And Scott was on with me on the radio show this morning, and he came on. You know, doing it was actually at the end of his Sports Center show last night. And I said, obviously, there's the perspective we have um, as Nats fans, Nats media members, and for you, you know, on the beat, well, as a columnist, you know, covering it. Do you? Th- I, I I asked Scott, what was the bigger takeaway in terms of the bigger story out of last night? The the, the Nats winning in the Kendrick Grand Slam or Kershaw? And he said it's not even close. It's Kershaw. If you were writing a national story, would you feel the same way? Yeah, because the Dodgers are a national team. I mean, the Dodgers won 106 games. They went to the World Series the past two years. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers are a high-profile franchise. The Nationals are not. I mean, the Nationals have their own story, which is compelling, uh, the the first round exits and the dramatic way they've exited in three or four of those first rounds uh, with with bizarre circumstances, but uh, the the Dodgers are they're they're the Dodgers they do four million fans this year, you know that so yeah they're the bigger story in almost every yeah, but, situation and, and Kershaw yeah, that's going to be a Hall of Famer yeah that's the part of it. It's it's Kershaw yeah. and the images of him, and I'm I'm assuming you're seeing the same cutaways of him isolated in that dugout with head and hands devastated over what had just happened. Well, you're assuming too much because the only thing I'm looking at at that point is my computer screen. Yeah, and I'm writing. So I mean, there's a lot that you see and wind up seeing that I don't see, you know, because I'm consumed with with writing my story and then getting down to the clubhouse. And, and and seeing the celebration and getting quotes and stuff like that. That's why. It's so I didn't see that until this morning. The Kershaw on the on the bench by by himself, and you know he he owned up to it. But and he'll he's he's maybe the greatest pitcher of his era. But uh, his postseason record. I mean, it's 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 the opposite of what like a Kurt Schilling or even a Steven Strasburg, who wound up pitching a pretty good game for them. Damn right. After. After basically almost cratering in the first Strasburg, the old Strasburg, that's a six nothing game. You're a hundred percent right. One of the things I mentioned at the top of the podcast is that this game for me was sort of like a book with four chapters. Like the first chapter was the pitchers. One's really good and one's not so good. The second chapter is how the Nats hung in there with Strasburg pitching well after the start and Soto and Rendon generating a run to keep him in there. And and by the way, Rainey coming in and getting two uh, two key outs and Corbin getting four outs. And then the third chapter was just tight. Kershaw, because that was the stretch of the game that will be unforgettable, you know, for for the the back to back homers from Rendon and, and Soto, and then the last chapter being a grand slam by Kendrick, who had another error last night. You know, it oh, was, he had a terrible series. Y- y- I mean, it had a terrible field, series. Three errors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but what was really, you know, what that's interesting. What what Davey Martinez did is the same thing that Dusty Baker did with Jason Worth. See certain managers, they 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 will they will stick with a veteran player, and it's usually managers who spent a long time in the major leagues on their own, like Dusty did. Like Davey played for 16 years in the major leagues, so he sees guys like Howie Kendrick, and he sees himself, just like Dusty did with Jason Worth. It didn't work for Dusty 
because Jason Ward didn't do right. what Howie Kendrick did. But that's the philosophy, and it, it, that's not an analytic. That's something personal. Yeah. That 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 Dave Martinez he he took he invested in Howie Kendrick's experience, and he almost paid the price for it, but he wound up celebrating for it. Yeah, I mean, that's true, and you could almost flip it to the other side and say that that's why Dave Roberts put Kershaw back out there in the eighth inning because it was Clayton Kershaw, and he had a hunch, and he had a feel, and he had been through so much with him, and that one didn't work out. And, by the way, the one thing that I wanted to mention about going back to Strasburg is that it was an interesting start because he really was on the verge of getting battered around much worse You know, to get out of that first inning with only giving up two runs was fortunate. You know, part of the fortune was that Cody Bellinger was terrible in this series. You know, and he had had an opportunity to really do some damage in that first inning. But, you know, Strasburg in that first, after giving up, you know, the two-run shot. By the way, after the Peterson ground rule double that everybody everybody thought was a home run, thank God Soto saw it, because I don't know if anybody else would have seen it. Yeah, he kept pointing out there, and we're thinking, what's he pointing to? Exactly. You know? I mean, at that point, we didn't know there was a hole in the, in the bullpen fence. Exactly. Look, so even watching on TV, you had no idea what he was pointing to. And I'm like, did the ball get stuck somewhere or what? But I, I don't know that if he hadn't seen it, anyone would have seen it. But Strasburg, you know, gives up the homer to Muncie. Then he walks Turner on four pitches. And you're looking at, you know, I'm thinking this is 4 5 nothing. He's out of the game possibility. But he hung in there and he pitched great. And Corbin pitched great. And they hung in there. And it was just, it, it was incredible. You know, there were some real interesting moments. I know you don't love this stuff as much, but I'm wondering in the press box if in the fifth when Suzuki walked and Taylor singled at the bottom of the order and Strasburg's coming up and it's the fifth inning and they're down 3 nothing. did everybody up there think that, that Davey was going to pinch hit for him? No, nobody did. Uh, people figured that Strasburg would execute the bunt and get them over Yeah, at that point. Uh, and he didn't. He didn't execute it. No, no. But at, at that point, uh, and go to who? I mean, Corbin that early? I don't think anyone felt good about that. Yeah. Again, I mean, look, uh, I mean, Dave Roberts, I, I hate to do this, but fans love to do this. It's how they keep score. Dave Roberts got outmanaged by Dave Martinez. Oh, there's no team. doubt. I oh, mean, from it, the it first was... game, when he brings in Scherzer in relief, in the first game that they won, you know, this game two, and Dave Roberts said that that surprised him. He uh, didn't expect that. Right. Right. Well, he managed aggressively, but last night, and I know you hate to do this, but whatever, it's the actual part of the game that I enjoy the most. There there was no second-guessing Dave Roberts. There was first-guessing all night. By the way, just as an aside, Ray Knight was shocked that Strasburg wasn't pinch pinch hit for because he said Bueller is almost impossible to bunt off of, and Suzuki can't run anyway. And he, he was really, really, in the moment, he said, very surprised and thought it was really the wrong move at the the moment that you needed runs at that point down three nothing but anyway um that that's as an aside um but dave roberts leaving uh kersh having kershaw face rendon was chancy to begin with but then after that home run when you've got this guy kalaric who has been the guy to get soto out sitting there or maeda whoever you want to go to and to have kershaw face soto in that spot was 
was the, he was first guest for that by almost everybody. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, a tough no, night for that, him. That, that seems almost insane. And what about Soto? Oh. What 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 a star this kid is. And it's hard. It's not fair. It's not fair to Bryce Harper. It's not fair to Soto. But it's hard not to compare the two of them because he's basically the Bryce Harper replacement here in Washington. And and through circumstances, you know, two different lives, two different circumstances, Bryce Harper was, was considered a star, you know, when he was like a kid. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16. Uh, Juan Soto was an undrafted free agent from the Dominican where everyone's trying to hit their way off the island uh, in poor circumstances. But what's ironic is, remember when Bryce Harper initially in his first year or two said he wanted to make baseball fun again? Yeah. That was one of his quotes. Yeah. Well, the guy who, who, who brings the fun to the game is Soto. Oh, I mean, no. his style, his, 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 his temperament. Yeah, I mean, I, Bryce Harper may not be able to do that because of the burden of being Bryce Harper. It just may be too much. But for, for Soto, Soto has made Washington, that, that clubhouse fun. He's made going to games fun. I, when I sit in the stands, there's two, the two most jerseys I see people wearing, Scherzer and Soto. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Bryce Harper conversation, I mean, people are having it. I personally don't know if they would have done any better or any worse with Bryce Harper here because the truth is in the postseason, Harper actually came up as big as anybody else did. But you're 100% right about Soto. But let's talk about Rendon here for a moment because Rendon in, a, in two do-or-die games went four for seven with four RBIs and was nearly impossible to get out no matter what the count was. You know, no matter what the count was, you know, in in the in the uh, in the tenth on that ground rule double, he fell behind two nothing, and you just you're seeing the close up as you're watching on TV. He's completely unfazed. He has a he pulse. In. He has he a pulse rate in. of like forty six. He yeah. is so calm and so smooth, and really, I mean, he is a star, Tommy, and he completely outperformed Bellinger in this series. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, and you know, when, when, uh, in situations like this, like I explained before, you're writing two or three stories at the same time. What were the two or three you were writing? Well, I'm writing, I'm writing that they lose, you know, and I'm writing in that story that this was probably Anthony Rendon's last game as a Washington National because he's looking at, you know, free agency on, on the horizon. Uh, when they tie it, I mean, I'm writing when they lose initially that they went down with a whimper, you know. When they tie it, I'm I'm writing a story as if, well, they they fought hard, but then they lost. And then I'm writing the win story, you know. So you write a lot of things before you get to the right thing. But, but, you know, in in the initial story, I'm writing Rendon. This is it for him. This was his last game. And, uh... It turns out not to be the case. Now you've got the, their first league championship series. It's amazing. It is actually, you know, and the the, the whole nature of their the six games that they've played. There have been so many of, you know, we've talked about this a lot, and we didn't have a chance to talk the other day. I I, I did not follow your Twitter beef, which Aaron told me, and a couple of other people told me about the crowd for 
game four. You can talk about it if you want here in a moment. But, you know, you have to have these moments to become, you know, a huge baseball fan with your own team. Like these October moments, the Milwaukee game, the comeback, the tension, the pressure, pitch by pitch. We had that last Friday night. That game Friday night, the Strasburg-Kershaw game, which went 4-2 and Hudson had the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. You know, and, and Davey Martinez is walking, intentionally walking the winning run to the plate because he doesn't want to face Muncie. And then he walks the guy they walked the guy in four pitches um was was incredibly compelling you know the sixth inning in game three where the Dodgers erupted and then last night you know these are the kinds of things baseball in the postseason is addictive for sports fans it is high high drama and so unpredictable which makes it so great absolutely and by the way I would have walked Muncie every time he was up if there were runners on base, he's the most feared hitter in that lineup. I, I understand that. Not, not Bellinger. But you know what? In, on Friday night, if he if he was the most feared hitter in that lineup, which is true, if he hit a home run, the score was tied. If the next guy hit a home run, the game was over. I'm still walking him. Yeah. I agreed with that 100%. I don't I mean, think – I, I would have loved to have been talking to you in that moment to see if you're being honest, that you totally agree oh, no, with walking Wincy. Yes. Ask Mark Zuckerman next time you have him okay. on the show. I said it way before that. You're I gonna walk. Like, you're gonna walk Muncie and bring the winning. You're gonna bring the the winning run to the plate in a in a four two game. I'm not. Uh, you were the only person Muncie. that thought that that was the right thing. It paid off, although really it well, didn't. You know what? Apparently, I wasn't the only one because the manager seemed to think so. <laughs> yes, too. well, you great minds think alike, clearly. <laughs> but I will tell you this: it really didn't work because the matchup he wanted with Smith, they walked him on four pitches. But anyway, um, we digress there. Uh, what what else from last night? Like. First of all, Tommy, where do they go tomorrow night? Who's going to start tomorrow night? It would seem to be between Annabelle Sanchez, Scherzer on short rest, Corbin yesterday would have been his bullpen session, which I guess essentially is what he ended up pitching last night and the four batters he faced. Who who starts tomorrow night? Because that news hasn't come out yet. Sanchez. Sanchez will be the starter. You're, do you know that for a fact? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll be Annabelle Sanchez, who pitched well for them. Yeah, he did. Uh, and his one appearance that, that he made in, in, in this series. And and look, we're entering a different uh, time zone now, okay? And that's a seven-game series. And this little magic trick of mixing and matching starters right. to cover up the hydrized <laughs> bullpen, yeah. that's not going to work over seven games. So does that concern you about the matchup with the Cardinals? That no, the bullpen will does. bite them in their and the ass finally in this series. Yes, yeah. I just don't think you can ask that much of these guys if it goes to seven games. What they really need now, they need starters to go seven. That's what they really need. They need Sanchez to go seven. They need their starters to go seven. Now Sanchez in September. Three of his starts, he went seven or more innings. Right. So he, he's capable of doing it. He did it a lot at the end of the year. So, but that's the key for them pitching wise is for start is to get to that eighth inning, uh, you know, with their starters intact. 
um, because I, I just don't see how. I mean, over a five-game series, it's short. You know, you're, you're like like Dave Martinez said, they weren't playing a five-game series; they were playing a one-game series. Well, you know, in a seven-game series, you can't do that. You just can't. So, I mean, I'm not optimistic about a seven-game series. I don't know. I haven't paid attention to the Cardinals that much. I don't know what they're capable of and, and what they can do and what their bullpen situation is. Uh, but for the Nationals, the success is starting pitching, stretching out to seven, and that offense and Soto you know, and not going to sleep. Yeah, yeah. three, uh, basically three, four. Yeah, basically, yeah. Their offense not going to sleep, and and in particular, their late inning offense, which which has really been tremendous of late. I mean, I think they really feel like 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 a heavyweight box, like like a championship boxer, uh, like they call the championship rounds. You know, like ten, eleven, and twelve. I think the Max feel, which is ironic because the eighth inning was their horror story. Uh, out of the bullpen this year, but offensively in the postseason, the eighth inning has been their lucky charm. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we segue to um, the, the loser in town, uh, the Redskins, and the week that's been, because we haven't had a chance to catch up together on this, um, any any lasting locker room you know, um, uh, you know, thoughts that you had, people that you talked to. What else you got on last night? Uh, well, I didn't. Get, I, I got down to the locker room late, uh, and they were still celebrating, but it, it was hard to get in. And I wasn't going to get soaked with champagne and beer, to be honest with you, uh, because I, I didn't bring a rain. Like, like you know, the beat writers—they're used to this. They bring raincoats with them, yeah. You know, and, and stuff like that. And I didn't bring anything like that. But uh, I saw Dave Martinez as as he was walking to the interview room, and I felt I felt good for him. I mean, this is a guy who was in the hospital a couple weeks ago, worried about his heart and, and his life. His yeah, future. exactly. I, you know, so and to have, and to have I mean, people had him fired. You know, he 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 took over a team that had that you know, had a popular manager, Dusty Baker had been to the playoffs of the previous two years, and he never, ever changed. He had, he'd, been, he'd been passed over for seven managing jobs. And, and for, for, this, for this to happen to him, uh, as good a guy as you'll find in baseball, that, that was a great moment, uh, see, seeing him and, and seeing him smile and how happy he was. Uh, yeah, so happy for him, and especially with the, you know, the personal scare that he just went through as well. I hope he's healthy. That was so nice because he really is a really nice guy, and he managed to win, brother, in this postseason. He, if he was going down, he was going down aggressively and with his best. And I think most people um, would prefer that versus you know watch Matt Williams back there with his calculator, um, you know, oh, trying yeah. to figure out what to do and not feeling the game. You know, he felt the game really so often throughout uh, the six games that they played, the, the Milwaukee game and then the five against the Dodgers. Um, any stories about L.A.? I mean, you've been out there twice now in the last week. You know, not a lot. Uh, Anybody that you're you know, hanging out with? The pa- uh, you know, those things. Who am I going to hang out with? Listen. <laughs> you, need me, days, you need your driver. You need me to be there. That's what I need. In the old days, you know, the B-Riders, you'd go out. You know, everybody go out. 
well, nobody does that anymore. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a different it's a different era. You, you've got these kids that that I don't know what they do, but they don't go out. You know, so uh, you know there wasn't much uh, you know carousing around Los Angeles here. They're about to shut the power off here in L.A. today. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, because they're, everyone's worried in California about the, the uh, you know, the fires. Right. And they've come to the conclusion that uh, some kind of electrical sparks from, from the power grid caused these fires that, that, you know, burn half the state. So they had a power uh, outage out in northern California, I think, the past couple of days, purposely. And now they're going to have it here in, in L.A., so I'm just hoping they don't do that before I get out of town. All right, let's get to the Redskins. Let me first, real quickly, tell everybody about Stamps.com. If you're a small business, like the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, use Stamps.com. It saves you time, it eliminates tr- uh, trips to the post office, and it saves you money. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. It eliminates all those trips to the post post office, saves you money, and it's really easy to use. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail's ready, just hand it to your mail carrier, drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Now, with stamps.com, you're going you're gonna to get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. There are over 700,000 small businesses using stamps.com, and if you want to use it, you're going to get a benefit from being my listener. And here's how my listeners right now get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in my promo code, KevinDC, that's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. Stamps.com, KevinDC. All right, since we did not do a show together on Tuesday, um, we should go back to Monday uh, with Jay Gruden being fired, and then that gem of a press conference that Bruce Allen gave on that particular day. And then later on, Callahan, and I don't even know if you heard Callahan yesterday, but that's that's a segment on its own, which I can do by myself a little bit later in the show or at the end of the show if you didn't see it. But let's go back to Monday. Um, Gruden gets fired, hardly a shock, and then Bruce gets up there, Tommy, and describe what your reaction to that thing was. Well, I, I think Redskins fans saw that there's actually something worse than watching this team play. And that's what listening to Bruce Allen in the press conference. I mean, he was he was delusional. He was arrogant. I went back and looked at some of the times he spoke to, you know, in press conferences before, like in 2014 in the famous winning off the field press conference. He was asked about the culture then, too. And he basically gave the same answer. I mean, it wasn't as succinct as it's a damn good culture. But he basically gave, I mean, you go back and you read some of the quotes from his past press conferences. He talked about the draft and how good the draft was back in 2014. He, he uses the same crutches time and time again. And, you know, there, I mean, he has no personal accountability so there's no accountability, period. People say, where's the accountability? 
people. He has no personal accountability. So, I mean, why would you expect the organization to have any accountability or him to have any accountability to the organization? It just doesn't exist. Yeah, it it, it was unbelievable. It was it became so obvious at the beginning what they were doing. They were doing their thing. They were not being accountable. They were being delusional. They were blaming somebody else. You know, it was so obvious with the comments about you know Doug and Kyle have done a great job with the draft. We got a really good roster, and Bill's going to come in here and he's going to put n- new plan and new schedule. I mean, it just basically you know took a, you know a, an axe and cut Jay Gruden in half on his way out. In the same yeah. way that they did with Scott McLuhan and Mike Shanahan. That's, you know, that's what they do. I, I, I said on the show yesterday, that press conference is your mirror into the minds of Bruce and Dan. It's never their fault. It's always somebody else. You know, now that Jay's gone, we're going to be great. The lack of self-awareness of these of this organization is mind-boggling. And, you know, t- Tommy, it's also... You know, and I don't know if I even mentioned this yesterday. I probably needed you to make me think about it. But it, it, it was, to me, confirmation that Bruce ain't going anywhere and that Bruce has yeah. flim-flammed the owner. The owner's being sold. You know, they say very often that the easiest person to sell is a salesperson. And Dan's apparently a very good salesperson. He's the easiest guy right now. He's being completely bamboozled by Bruce Allen. But then I think to myself, does Bruce even really know what the truth is? Like, is he just flim-flamming him, or are they in this little world out in Loudoun County at one Loudoun where, you know, the Harvest Fest crowd and the draft night parties and, you know, the road show parties when they go to a city where people haven't seen them in years and they get duped into believing that that's, like, really their fan base. Uh, It's... It's er- like I've said to you before, it's arrogance and incompetence in combination. There's nothing worse in people. There's nothing worse in a business. It never, ever works out well because you make mistake after mistake. And the arrogant part of you, the narcissistic part, the, the uh, and by the way, combined with the lack of self-awareness, never allows you to admit that you might be the one that is the problem. You're the one that's making the mistakes. It's always someone else's fault. It's on repeat, this, this shit show. On repeat. Yes. Yes, it is. It, that, that's exactly the case. You hear the same story every time. I mean, how about the nerve when asked about the Patriots fans in the stands to blame the fans for selling their tickets on, on secondary markets? I mean, that's what he did. He basically blamed the fans for selling their tickets. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, what kind of nerve is that? Th- that that to me was the least of it because it wasn't nearly as direct, or, you know, as the hatcheting of Jay Gruden and putting it on somebody else once again. You know, he even had the nerve to basically, you know, answer David Aldridge's question about, you know, sort of this notion that they're never, you know, close. And he said, well, you know, last year, you know, see, and that would that's part of the flim flam. With Snyder, it's like, Dan, we were six and three last year, and then we had all the injuries. We have a really good team. Doug and we're we're drafting well, which, by the way, they're really not drafting that well. No, they're not. And 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 he said the same thing five years ago about how good they're drafting. It was the same defense. Yeah. It's, um, 
you know, and, the, and of course, the, the famous line last night, by the way, I tweeted out late in the game, I tweeted out, the Nats have a damn good culture. <laughs> and and, and, and the, the, the bottom line is, is, you know, he's become Vinny Serrato with the sound drops. He may have more of them at this point, winning off the field. We're close. And now we've got a damn good culture. That was such – Scott said – in his thing, he said he couldn't have shown more lack of self-awareness if he had walked to the podium nude than that yeah. particular line that he used. And it's really remarkable. You know, by the way, one of the things I, I, I'm not sure I have the answer on the following. If he's just flim-flamming everybody, you know, and, and, and trying to you know pull the wool over everybody's eyes as if everybody's stupid, and maybe the owner is completely buying into it, or if they really believe it in that little bubble that they're in. I, I think part of it is that they really do believe this. You know, that they really do believe that it's not them. And and how can you ever fix it? <laughs> if, you know, if you can't recognize what the whole world of, of sports recognizes is that Dan is the worst owner in professional sports, or certainly one of the three or four worst, and Bruce Allen shouldn't be running a car wash let alone an NFL team. Now, what did you think of the questions at the press conference? Well, I thought that they were fine. I, I, I thought they were fine. They were they, they were fine. They were okay. But uh, I'm going to give a little journalism uh, uh, diatribe here, and, and particularly with this team uh, and this guy in particular. There's this notion out there that uh, if you cover the team – every day you 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 can't really go on attack mode with management because you have to talk to these guys every day i i i hear that constantly and that's a fallacy that is absolutely not true i mean if if you are worried that you can't hold bruce allen's feet to the fire on a daily basis because he won't talk to you if you do if you do then you're working for him. You're I, working for him. I didn't really hear any of those questions in that press conference that no. would have led me to believe that somebody no, no, was no. walking on eggshells. No, they weren't. But the point is, where are they? Where are they every other day? You compare the tone of the coverage of this team now compared to Rick Snyder when he was at the Times, uh, Jason Lockenfuhrer, Jason Reed. I mean, you know, you don't see that kind of coverage with, with, with this with this with this media core, and and we're at the point now where you shouldn't fear being shut out by anybody. Oh well, do, you Park. don't. I don't. Uh, most people on but sports talk radio don't. But I'm not there every day. I'm, I'm not there every day. I'm talking about that. I mean, they're, they're, look, it, it, it's not oh, just okay. there. I see, I see it in journalism a lot, this idea that, well, you know, I have to work with these people every day. I can't, I can't drop a hammer on them all the time or else they'll shut me out. Well, then then you're, you've lost. Then you've lost. They need the people who cover this team. They need to keep the heat on all the time. I mean, Bill Callahan needs, needs to be put on the hot seat. Every time he steps to the microphone, every time. You know, I I completely agree with you. Well, let me let me let me back up for a second. I 
when we were owned by the by the team, when the radio station was owned by the team, as you know, we were never told what we could say or couldn't say. We never once were we called about anything. When we were highly critical, when we were calling for Vinny Serrato to be fired or Jim Zorn to be fired or Dan to you know back off. Now our personal styles on radio, anyway, was was not a personal attacking style. It was more of a professional attacking style. We were never told to do anything, but I. I do recognize the, you know, the 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 ability to hey, if I want to get them for the big interview, every once in a while, you know, I'm gonna have to promo something they're doing and put somebody on that I don't want to put on that's boring to talk about, you know, some big event. Like I don't know that that that's really this the thing that you're talking about. With that said, though. Like at this point, knowing what I know, knowing what you know, and knowing what the press corps in as a whole knows, there's absolutely no benefit you get from this team from being nice. No, there, there, absolutely nothing. There, there's no benefit. These people are not sharp when it comes to public relations. They would much, One of the things they consistently do to the local media core is burn them by giving and leaking stories to national people. You know, yes. so why would anybody ever want to do their, you know, be, be be nice to them and and give them a break occasionally? I don't feel that way. You know, I mean, look, my medium, your medium, uh, when you're on radio, is different. You just say what you feel, and you know, hopefully, you have a lot of data to support the way you feel. Not everybody does. Some people just rant, and there's no basis for the rant, and there's no back, you know, factual backup. But I don't really give a shit what they think. And I didn't really give a shit personally when when they owned us, you know. And I was doing the pregame show. I was part of their radio network for 13 years. And on pregame shows, I would be critical at times when it was meant to be. And they never said anything. But I don't know why you would ever think that there's any benefit to give them an occasional break. They they don't give anybody. I well, that's not true. They give your your station got the benefit of having a lot of people, you know, be guests on the, that station that they wouldn't even give to the rights holder. So there there was that, and so maybe you know. Uh, there, there was some benefit there, and you, you guys bent over backwards, and, and basically, you know, uh, with, with La Famina, I mean, you, you saddled up in bed next to him like he was the, the, the next coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, that was really awesome. There. Out, I might want to point out that when you mean you guys, if you're including me, I'm the one who said Brian La Famina wouldn't be there a year. Hold on for a second. Let me help you out there because you know I'm not referring to you. And by the way. Um, I, I think I said this on the show without you on radio recently when I, when we were talking about, oh God, I can't remember what the subject, it was something about them. And I just said, Tom Levero on the, on the very first podcast that we did said about Brian LaFamina, I hope you didn't buy because and, and you rented because once you admitted that there was no season ticket waiting list, your days are numbered. You will not, and you said, mark my words, he will not last a year. And you were right. You were right, and I and I was with you on that. I'm like, of course not. They're gonna hate him, and I and 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 certainly they did. Um, well, the it, whole point of this is, I I, I think they need. And whether it's, I think, Bill Cal, if, if they put Bill Callahan out there 
every day now as, as the face of the franchise to speak. His feet need to be held to the fire for everything that's going on with that team. Did you see his press Regularly. conference yesterday? I didn't see that. Oh, Tommy. So the first thing he – so you know how Jay Gruden would start every single press conference with – uh, Brandon Sheriff, uh, not a participant at yeah. uh, John Allen, yeah. uh, like he goes through the entire injury report. Bill Callahan comes out, and the first thing he says yesterday is, I- I'm not a big fan of really talking about injuries. And then, you know, the practice was open briefly so that they could see, so the media could see like referees out on the field and players running wind sprints and different things. Like, the, like all of a sudden, we, it's, I don't know if you knew this, but Lombardi's still alive and he's back and, and they've got the Dolphins and they're going to go win 11 games. Look, I think Jay Gruden should have been fired last year when the season ended. I wanted a new coach. I've never thought he was a good head coach. He's average at best and he's really sub par in a lot of different areas but this this narrative that they are trying to pass on that Jay's been the problem and Callahan by the way is all in and and I if you recall and you probably don't because you only recall things that you say um, on this podcast but last year I told you that the Callahan Gruden thing is not gonna work they need if they're gonna keep Gruden they've got to get rid of Callahan this relationship is not good. The run game, you know, suffers from it. Callahan's run scheme is 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 really a shitty run scheme, and and well, it's you're a bad. You're going to see a lot of it, apparently. I'm sorry. You're going to see a lot of it. Oh yeah. They're going to run the ball now. Oh yeah, you're going you're going back to ground and pound 1970s football, but um. I uh, Callahan would all of them out there. You can see it over the last you know couple weeks. If we can just get rid of that damn Jay Gruden. Hello, you hired him. You gave him a contract extension, and then by the way, drafted a quarterback that needed a new coach, but you still kept Jay anyway. Uh, the the whole thing is so mismatched. Okay, what about what about not playing? No, it's it's repulsive to me. It's just the, you know, here's what I said yesterday, and I would have said to you had we done the show on Tuesday. Here's the bottom line in these situations. If he doesn't play significant games this year on a loser team, it'll be unprecedented. A first-round pick on a loser team not playing a lot. It'll be the biggest red flag. This is something we were talking about in training camp. If he's not playing 8, 9, 10 games and starting, it's a massive red flag, and you should assume that they done messed up with the 15th overall pick. Because here's the bottom line, Tommy, in, in this sport, and I've talked to a lot of people about this over the last month. If he's not ready to play, that's your problem. That's a coaching problem, okay? You can get almost anybody ready to play an NFL game that's got talent. You can completely simplify a game plan. By the way, Callahan's just basically talking about handing the ball off all game. I know. You don't think How much this can do that? Yeah, you don't think this dude can do that? If you can't get him ready to play, it's your fault, not his. Now. Callahan talked about he's going to get him additional reps. Again, another slight at Jay because Jay wasn't giving them reps. And by the way, Jay should have been giving him reps. Uh, Jay shouldn't have been been here. This dude should have been getting all the reps in in training camp. But again, we knew that you know, hey, Case Keenan comes out, they go two and two. Let's just stick with Case and let's. You're zero and five now, and you're playing the Dolphins. 
And so, um, who said this to me uh, yesterday or today? It may have been Michael Phillips today. He said, yeah, they didn't want to play him against the Patriots. And then, you know, you got the Dolphins. God forbid you put him out there and he loses to the Dolphins. So you can't play him again. I'm like, who can you play him against? Like, you can't play him against the Patriots because you're afraid, you know, he's going to get his ass kicked. You can't play him against the Dolphins because if he doesn't kick their ass, it's going to look really bad. No, it's a coaching issue with somebody like this. If they want to take a week or two and get him some uh, significant first-team reps, that's fine. And then the 49ers are here next week, and then it's the Vikings on a short week. Let me just tell you right now, if he's not starting at Buffalo in Week 9 and for the rest of the year, they done messed up and everybody in the organization but the owner and the team president know it. I'd be shocked. If he's not starting by then, absolutely. I mean that that would be stunning. I mean I agree with you. I'd come on board with that. He should be he should be starting now at this point. Like, he should be out there because like we've had the same discussion. They need to know if he can play in this league. I mean they need to find that out, and the only way they're going to find that out is by him playing. So I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. I guess though. This this is the end of the Colt McCoy era, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. I know. This is the end. I mean, because his godfather's gone. There's nobody there who, who particularly has any affinity to play Colt at this point. But he's a backup, apparently. He's the, he's the backup at this point. And you know that you're, you're going to see Case Keenum in a boot, uh, you know, probably within the next week or two. And then maybe Cole will get a chance to play again. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, two things. I want to come back to that in a second. I just wanted to make one thing clear because I I know people are going to sit here and say, Sheehan, you just want him to play because you didn't think he was going to be very good, and you want it, you want him to fail. That's not true. All right. First of all, I was impressed with him in the preseason. That doesn't mean very much. I want him to play now because I want to know something rather than nothing. You know, the bottom line is if he's not ready enough to play now or next week, then you have to assume that they overdrafted the crap out of him. Like that is, to me, would be a no-brainer. You draft somebody 15th overall and on a 1-7 team with no future veteran quarterback or great Hall of Fame quarterback on your roster and he's not playing, guess what? You overdrafted him, period. And by the way, we should say the owner overdrafted him. But back to Colt for one second. I mean, seriously, Sunday, what was he doing out there, Tommy? That was a freaking disaster. And it's what, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about it, and you know my feeling is that Colt McCoy is a backup and he'd be a 6-10 starter if he could even survive 16 weeks. He was terrible. (laughs) It was so bad. And it's so... And it's Jay's final, you know, sort of uh, salvo. It's his final opportunity to, to, to fire, and he puts Colt out there for that thing. That was terrible. You're going to tell me Dwayne Haskins couldn't have done at least that on Sunday? That's true. That's true. You're right. You're right. You're, ab- you're absolutely right. By the way, I, just as I side to Jay Gruden, I thought he should have been fired after he lost to the Giants at the end of that season when they had to win a game yeah. and the Giants Terrible were, were basically a sparring partner. You saw everything that was wrong with Jay Gruden in that game. That that should have told you right there. 
he's not the guy. Yeah. He's not the guy, and I thought he should have been fired then. But here, yeah, I mean, they, 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 no team had ever been that, you know, less enthused for a must game against a team that had yes. nothing to play for. And, and you know, the mistakes. With and the, he got out coached. He got out coached by the guy who was out of, the, who was out of a job next year, Ben McAdoo. It was. I mean, we could go through the list of them. I mean, the defensive coordinators that were hired, the the never being ready for the opening of a season, the giant game at the end of 2016, you know, all of it. I mean, this guy was never built to be a head coach. But back to sort of the original thought here, it firing Jay Gruden isn't going to change anything. And the Monday press conference from Bruce Allen was, you know, case in point. If you know this franchise and you listen to that press conference, you know it's never going it doesn't matter that Jay Gruden was fired. It just doesn't. It's it was Gruden, it was McLuhan. They had Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur all in the building and they couldn't fucking see that they had actual real quality people who, by the way, already knew the people they were working for were a-holes of the highest order. Uh, and, and at that point, you're like, look, uh, we're going to be nicer now. We, we recognize if you're smart, th- this is we've never had this much talent on a coaching staff assembled in one building. Uh, yeah, the results haven't been, been great, but we fucked up with the salary cap. And actually, I think they were it was an unfair salary cap. We got to give them time. We, we can't bail on RG. But no, what did they do? They picked RG3 over those people. <laughs> I mean, nothing illustrates the incompetence more than selecting Robert Griffin III, empowering him over two Shanahans, LaFleur and McVeigh. It's just moronic. And it'll it'll never change. It's just not going to change. How many times have I told you it doesn't matter who coaches his team. It doesn't matter who plays quarterback for this team. It just doesn't matter. I've said that repeatedly. I've I've never disagreed with you. Yeah, I mean, um, and yeah, I just you know, it, it, it would it would be nice if one day you know the owner looked Bruce Allen in the eye and and said, "Yeah, no, not anymore." Uh, but it yeah. doesn't matter because no one wants to work for him either. And by the way, this is going to be really interesting to watch this coaching situation because I w- I would actually take a flyer on Bill Callahan being the permanent coach because ultimately they just couldn't find anybody that they liked to take the job or anybody that wanted the job that wasn't willing to commit to Haskins. You know, because that's a big part of this. This is the RG3 timey thing all over again. Like they had to hire, Gruden had to say, I can fix and work with Griffin. And the next head coach, even if he doesn't believe it, is going to have to say, I can make Haskins work. And look, we don't know that he can't work, and we're not going to know that until he's out there. Right, right. That is the that is the one difference. But but there's a lot of similarities between this and RG three. Some of them are be, maybe beyond the kid's control, too. Yeah. I mean, there are the people around him, from the owner to the team president to who knows what. Let me just read something to you because uh, I enjoyed this, and as long as I enjoy it. That's all that counts. Exactly. Uh, in Facebook, I got a comment when I wrote my Bruce Allen comment uh, column and posted on Facebook. I got this comment. I'm not going to give the guy's name away. He says, I have to be honest. I used to despise you on radio and reading your column. 
not because you are a horrible journalist, because I knew deep down inside you were 100% correct. And just like the rest of the fan base, I didn't want to believe this could happen to our team. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, look, I mean, you and I have both been through this where you get a bunch of feedback of, oh, my God, you're overly critical, you're overly negative, this team's actually you know, much yeah. better than you think, and it's great defense. And I'm like, yeah, but they tried to replace the defensive coordinator. Did you not follow that story? Like, they may not have good coaches, and, and they weren't very good on defense last year. And, by the way, the, the one thing that um, – came out about the culture comment. I don't know if you followed this. John Allen was on the station yes, uh, Tuesday and said it's actually the best locker room he's been in since he's been here. And uh-huh. and so um, I, I've talked to Cooley. I've talked to a couple of other people who actually say that the players in the locker room, like there is definitely a positive vibe with good quality, you know, players and attitudes anyway, that nobody's bailing, that people get along, that people work hard. By the way, did you know Doug Williams? You can check his time card. He's there very early in the morning. Um, yes. Yeah. When um, are they going to supply those time cards for us to look at? <laughs> can you just picture Doug Williams coming in Fred Flintstone <laughs> style and clocking in? You know, here, Doug Williams reporting for work, sir. Uh, by the way, don't look at the owner. Don't look the owner in the eye. Did you hear that whole thing? We had heard that before, you know, um, about not being yeah. able to look the owner in the eye. LeVar Arrington told that story the other day on something. I, I read it. I didn't see it. But um, anyway, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I well, that's okay. I, here, let, me, let, me, let me take you down another track. Okay. You say they're not going to be able to attract anyone of quality. I think you're missing the boat here. Rex Ryan, baby. He wants the job. Yes. Wouldn't you like Rexy yes. at Redskins Park? You know, if we're going to suck, and I can say we're going to suck because I'm a fan, um, I might, I'd rather, put it this way, I'd rather have Rex Ryan than Bill Callahan. Yes. I, you, you know what I want. I, I, I'm trying to be realistic here. Like, the people that think that Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley are coming here, you guys are insane. There's no chance. And by a guy like Eric Bieniemy is probably going to have a better option too. If Todd Bowles was available and was interested, you know, and came. By the way, Bowles isn't going to come here and work for, with Bruce Allen in the organization. More likely than not, um, I do. I'm a, I've been a Todd Bowles fan, so uh, you have too. I think for at least a little while. Um, when you sort of jumped on my <laughs> jumped on my back on that one. That's so bogus. That's just, it's not that, bogus. That's like I've been Allen. talking that's Todd like Bowles up with you for years. Conference. That's like a Bruce Allen press conference. Oh, no, it isn't. You you have yes, incredible ability to sort of just you know rewrite history. But anyway, He's you trying to talk it into existence. Almost always in your favor, by the way. Like if when you rewrite it, it always comes out better for you. Um, anyway, uh, I don't. We're, we're so far away from that, you know. Um, because in any way, they, they don't think that it, it more likely than not is going to be an issue because Bruce said they've got their goals still available to be accomplished. They've got 11 games left. You know, why would they need a new coach when they go 9-7 and seven and make a, and get a wild card this year? They won't need one. That's true. <laughs> I'm on the Rex Ryan bandwagon, baby. That would be fun. 
Um, that would be a lot of fun. He and his brother. The day they hired him, I would just write. I would write if we were sitting there together at the press conference on a piece of paper. I would write four, eleven, and one. <laughs> that would be the record. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, I'm done with you. I appreciate you getting up. I want you to feel better, travel safely. Are you going right to St. Louis? No, I'm not going to St. Louis. I'm coming home. I'm not traveling when I'm sick. That's smart. That's your yeah, smart. It, it really is because I only get sicker. Right. You know, so I, 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 I want to look at if they make it to game six and seven in St. Louis, I'll be there for those. All right. Well, so. get better. Have a safe trip back. I'm going to save you this week from the NFL power poll because I know you wouldn't be prepared and it would just anger you. And since you're not feeling well, I just want the stress to be at a low level for you today. Drink oh, lots of liquids, eat some now soup. Now i got to throw this away. I, I, I got my papers <laughs> right here. i got my list right here. i got to throw it away now. All right, see you. Right. I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll talk to you when you get back. All right, boss. I'll see you. Uh, he was upbeat for not feeling yeah. well. Um, so it was good. And uh, it must have been cool to be at Dodger Stadium for that last night. You know, it's funny because, you know, you heard him say, like, he's writing and he's got all these columns and he's – and at the same time, and I've, he and I have had this argument before, I really believe that it, you you get more from watching it on television than you do when you're at a game. Football in particular, basketball is a little bit different because you really don't miss that much in basketball and you're much closer to the action. And I love going to big you know hoops games, whether it's Maryland or, or you know the Wizards aren't going to have any big hoops games this year. <laughs> but um, I think when it comes to football and maybe even baseball, you know, some of that stuff is, you know, you don't catch nearly as much when you're at the game. And the Kershaw image of him in that dugout, head in hand, multiple uh, shots of that is a lasting, you know, image um, from that game. Um, all right, real quickly, we'll, we'll, I'll, the, the NFL power poll that we do on Thursday – Look, right now, the best team in football um, are the New England Patriots. The second best team in football, still more likely than not, even though they lost their first game, are the Kansas City Chiefs. I just will tell you that they are not, they're improved defensively, maybe still not good enough defensively to win a Super Bowl. I think we have to consider right now the Green Bay Packers to be the third best team in the league with what they did in Dallas. A lot of that was self-inflicted on Dallas's part in the first half. And now you get into that four and five spot. Do we have to start considering the 49ers as a top five team? Uh, a little early. It's still too early. Here's Way the, too early. Here's the thing, though, Claude. They are super fast on yeah. defense. Nick Bosa is a monster, and they can run the football. They're averaging 200 yards a game on the ground. Um I think the Saints you sort of put in there because they're going to get Breeze back Absolutely. here shortly, and Bridgewater's won three games in a row. You know, since losing uh, that that week two game to uh, to the Rams, you know, on the road when 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 Breeze got hurt, they went to Seattle and won, and that wasn't really a Bridgewater game. They had a special teams touchdown, had a defensive touchdown in that game, um, beat the Cowboys in a defensive struggle. Mm-hmm. But you know, the win over Tampa on Sunday was you know his first big moment. Twenty six of thirty four, three hundred and fourteen yards, four touchdowns. You know, did have a pick in that game. Um, but they, you know, they rolled up like 470 yards offense and 31 points over a Tampa team that had just beaten the hell out of the Rams the previous week. So there you go. So it's like, you know, it's it's Pats, it's Chiefs, it's Packers, and then you've got teams like the Saints and the 49ers. You have to consider, 
you know, you look around the AFC, I'm, I'm telling you, a team to keep an eye on, really, the Buffalo Bills are a good football team. They're a very good defensive team, and they're going to be a team that I think is going to contend for one of those wildcard spots in the AFC. By the way, they've got a bye week, and then they get the Dolphins, so they're going to get to 5-1. and one. Then two weeks after that, they've got the Redskins with the Eagles sandwiched in between. They could be a 6-2 and two football team at the halfway mark. They're really good on defense. Keep an eye on Buffalo. Um, Cleveland was so disappointing the other night. Man, Baker Mayfield's turning into a bit of a fraud. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, runs his mouth too much, is short, you know, turns the ball over. I still think they're really good defensively, and they got weapons offensively. We know that. Um, the Indianapolis win on the road was impressive at Arrowhead. Houston, good God, is Deshaun Watson a beast? Five touchdowns. They've got you know they've got some really good players. Um, I still think Dallas is good. You know I'm not off the Cowboys yet after two straight right. losses. I think they're a good team. Um, anyway. You haven't mentioned the Ravens at all. Are you are you done with them in the, uh, yeah. the North or so? They very easily could have lost that game sure. on Sunday, and Pittsburgh would have been sitting there two and three, tied for first. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're one and four, and they're two games behind the Ravens. Um, and the Steelers have obviously quarterback issues now, and I don't know what the issue uh, with Mason Rudolph is concussion-wise if he's going to be available to play anytime soon. I'm not – I before this – last year I was, a, I was on the Ravens from the jump. I said best defensive team in the NFL, you know, and I liked what they had coming back. And then obviously Flacco got hurt and they became this incredibly dynamic run, dual threat, you know, with Jackson – you know, he threw some bad picks, and he does throw some bad picks. He's also an incredibly dynamic player. You know, they're in a division right now where they should win it, but I don't think they're a threat to come out of the AFC personally. I think the Patriots are better. I think the Chiefs are better. I think the Texans might be better. Um, and then you've got, you know, teams like the Chargers who, you know, have the talent to be there. The Raiders obviously got a big win. That division's crazy. And I, I I picked Denver to be the sleeper team out of the AFC. They're one and four, but they very easily and actually should be three and two, worst case. All right. Um Claude, thank you for doing this. Anytime. Really Anytime. appreciate it. Uh Claude does a lot of work for Tony and for Mark and for TOP and for all podcasts in town. Right. He's he's one of the best uh, around, and he came in to sub in for Aaron today who is on his way to Las Vegas uh, for some sort of wrestling event. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, thanks to Claude. Thanks to Tommy for calling in. What a night last night was. Back tomorrow, we'll preview the St. Louis series, and obviously we'll have a full Friday football show. Enjoy the day, everybody.